verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Give us clarity of mind, ears to hear, hearts to understand. We bind any distraction today. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would have free course. Lord, you're not in a box in this room. Lord, you broke out of the box at the resurrection of Christ. And your spirit abides within the church. And Lord, I pray that today, have your will and have your way, oh God, in this room. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, you can be seated this morning. Turn around to a person or two and tell them good morning. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Well, we're glad to be here this morning in God's house, and we're excited to see you and the wonderful things that God has in store for us uh, in this room together. Listen, I enjoyed last month and our study together and the things that we endeavored to learn. But I want you to know I'm extremely excited about what God has in store this month as we uh, start this series entitled Victorious Living. You know, I believe Jesus wants us to live an overcoming life. I believe that he wants us to live a, a life of victory through his cross and how his death, burial, and resurrection defeated uh, death and hell and opened up the way for victory. For all of us to live. And so over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be endeavoring to talk about. And um, as I was praying um, the last couple of weeks, one thing that welled up in my heart was the Lord spoke to my heart and said that September would be a month of deliverance for God's people. Now, what you need to understand, when I use the word deliverance, I don't necessarily mean from demons. I don't believe Christians are possessed of demons. I believe they can be oppressed. But this morning, what I'm really talking about is delivered from from habits and hang-ups and mindsets, the things that are keeping us from walking in the fullness of our potential, the things that are keeping us from walking in the revelation of who we are in Christ and what God has called us to do. And so I want you to really be uh, focused on that over the next few weeks. And next week, uh, Pastor Christopher is going to be with us, and uh, next Sunday night, we're going to have a special healing emphasis. And so I want you to bring somebody that needs a touch from God, and I know that it's going to be awesome. Um, This morning, though, as we start out this series, I want to deliver what I told you I would deliver last week. And this morning, I want to start with a message that I've entitled, Overcoming the Fear of Death. Overcoming the Fear of Death. You know, I, I believe that fear has a lot of power to hold people's lives. But I don't believe that it's God's will for the church to be bound with fear. But the truth is, is that there are a lot of people within the context and confines of the church of Jesus Christ that are at different levels of their faith. You have some people who've been Christians a long time. They've been in church. They know the Bible. They know the books of the Bible. You have some people, rather, who are new Christians who are still learning their faith. They're still growing. They're still developing spiritual roots. And so uh, to, to think this morning that all of us,
are in the same uh, storm. Listen, we're all in the same boat, but we're not in this. We're all in the same storm, rather, but our boats may look a little bit different as far as where we are in our relationship with God. And so this morning, this may sound real simple to some of you, but I pray that the Spirit of the Lord will illuminate this to your mind to understand that as believers, we're not to be grabbed, uh, uh, grasped by fear, by fear. You know, it's interesting to me that our nation has pulled through in the last couple of years. We've seen an economy fail and start to slowly rebound, if you want to call it that. Uh, people have started to kind of get back to a new way of life. And then now all of a sudden, within the last few weeks, you hear all this stuff about the COVID flare-backups and are people going to wear masks or not wear masks and what's travel going to look like internationally and all of these things. And I just believe we ought to make up our mind right now to not participate in the circus that's coming down the road, that we're going to be a people who are wise, we use wisdom, but we don't walk in fear because the last thing the world needs is Christians who are afraid to come out of their house when there's a world that's dying and going to hell. You and I have to stand up in our spirit man and realize we've got to overcome the fear of death because Jesus has conquered the fear of death. Amen? Now, listen, I believe that, that death is something that's taboo for a lot of people. Now, I've often said this, and I say it jokingly, but I'm not really joking. I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want it to hurt. Amen? Like, Lord, just let me go in my sleep. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I just don't want it to hurt. I'm not afraid to die because I made up, a cho- I made up my mind a long time ago that my life is not my own. And I believe one of the things is that, that, that causes believers to have this overwhelming fear of death because even Christians, they're like they've been serving Jesus their whole life, are very uh, much, a lot of them that I've met are in turmoil at the end of their life. They're, they're worried about their loved ones they're leaving behind. They're worried about all of these things. But I believe that we're supposed to walk in peace. We're supposed to walk in victory as we cr- approach the finish line. Here's the truth, folks. When we gave our lives to Christ, it's the starting point. Amen. Now, those of you who are in this room this morning and you've given your life to Christ, at some point that started with a confession. Romans chapter 10, verse 8, 9, and 10 says, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, we believe that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made, and with our hearts Man believes unto righteousness, right? And so that's the starting point of our faith. But for many people, it's the ending point. But for us, my friend, it is the starting point of our faith. And so while I believe sincerely with leading new converts who are convicted to follow Christ on this journey of life, this faith journey of following Jesus, I believe in leading them to a confession of faith and a a, a prayer. Some might call it a sinner's prayer. I believe in that. But I think one thing that we have failed um, as a whole is to let people realize is that is the starting point and not the ending point. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. When Jesus was on this earth, he had an assignment. Now, all of us in this room who have children, 
understand that when they're so little, we have a plan for their life. We have hopes. We have aspirations. We have dreams. We name them. We think about what they're going to be when they grow up. Or are they going to be cute like their mom or ugly like their dad? Hello. What are they going to be? Are they going to go to college? Are they going to be a movie star? Are they going to be a preacher? What are they going to be? We have these aspirations for our kids. Most of us would say our aspiration for our children are to have a good life, to live, to grow, to be successful. But in Bethlehem's manger stood a perplexed issue. The infinite God left eternity and came down through the lens of time. The creating one, according to the book of Colossians, whom through all things were made, the created one found himself a cradled one. And now he is in a manger there with the other animals and the other things there because there was no room in the inn. And this Messiah was born, the hope of Israel, the one who would come to lead his people into supernatural deliverance, finds himself with Mary. The angel that came and said, you shall call his name Jesus. Yeshua, the one who would take away the sins of his people. But this child was different in and of different than all the other children that were born. While all the other little parents in Bethlehem had, had plans and aspirations for their child, Jesus was different. While most children are born to live, Jesus was born to die. It was known from the very beginning that the Messiah would come and give his life as a ransom for many. So Mary raised Jesus, but she had a loose grip on him because she knew that one day she would have to let him go. He finds himself after his baptism at age 30, the heavens have opened up. The spirit descended like a dove. A voice from the heavens spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The father spoke from heaven, validating the son, fulfilling Old Testament requirements for the priesthood. John's father being the last legal high priest of the Old Testament. John then being the, the last in line, transferring that to Christ, being the last high priest. Now, aren't you glad we don't have to go to a high priest? We go to Christ. You don't have to stand before behind a confessional and, and, and tell some stranger what we've done. We go straight to the throne of grace. That's awesome. And now, Jesus begins his march of three and a half years towards Calvary's cross. The Son of God became the Son of men so that sons of men could become the sons of God. You didn't hear what I said. I said the Son of God left heaven and became the Son of Man so that the sons of man, that's you and I, could become the sons of God. That's awesome. That's adoption. That's adopted into the royal priesthood of God, into the family of God. Jesus begins his destination to the cross. He has but one goal, 
That goal is the redemption of all humanity. I want you to think about something. As Jesus is coming that way, he begins to assemble himself a team. Now, when there's a football coach and he wants to win a game, what does he do? He begins to look at and scout for the most valuable players, the MVPs. If he's a college, if he's a college scout, he begins to look at high schools and, and looks at students. If he is an NFL player, he begins to look at colleges and he begins to find the good players. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus went and he found tax collectors. He found fishermen. He found rejects of society, people who nobody wanted anything to do with. And he found them, and here's what he said. The Bible says that Jesus went by that Galilean seaside, and he found some men fishing. One of them was Peter. Simon. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. At that moment, Peter, he wasn't some countryside bumpkin on the side of a road with a cane pole. He was a professional fisherman. He had little boats. He had people with him, and and he had nets, and he was catching great school. It was high provided for his family. Yet Jesus comes and says, follow me, and here he goes. He begins to follow Christ. There were others that Jesus called, and they left their professions, and they picked up all. They forsook all to follow him, and they begin to walk with Jesus. Here's what Jesus told them. Are you ready for this? Lean in hard with this one. Jesus said, if any man desires to be my disciple, he is to take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. Uh, See, you and I wear these pretty little crosses on our neck. We have them up on our walls. People get them as tattoos and whatever, whatever you want to do. But I want you to understand that when you and I view the cross, it's it's viewed as a piece of victory. It's, It's viewed as the ultimate symbol of redemption. But when Jesus viewed the cross, when the disciples and those in the first century viewed the cross, it was seen what would be in our eyes as the electric chair. It was seen as a lethal injection. It was seen as capital punishment. It it was seen as one of the most gruesome forms of execution that a person could ever go. See, if you were to put a bullet in somebody's head, it'd be instant and the pain would be over. The cross wasn't that way. It was agony for for, for a whole day. They ended up trying to break his legs they didn't succeed but they they ended up they were going to to speed up the process because Jesus death was taking too long because death by crucifixion is ultimately death by asphyxiation and it was taking a long time but it was agony for Jesus to bear that cross and his disciples he told them he said pick up the cross and follow me and that's what they did Let me record to you a little bit of history. Out of the 12 apostles, only one of them escaped death. John, who penned the words to the book of Revelation, on the Isle of Patmos in 90 AD, 
was an old man at the time of his death, but they had attempted to boil him in oil, and he escaped. But the others suffered horrible deaths. Some of them were sawed in two. Peter, who was radically changed and filled with the Holy Spirit after denying Christ. History records was crucified on an upside-down cross because he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified upright like his Savior. You see, 11 of those 12 disciples shed their blood for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, the title of my message is Overcoming the Fear of Death. I want to tell you, there's a big difference between the Christians of today and the Christians of the early church. The Christians of the early church did not fear death because they were already dead men walking. They were already dead men walking. The moment that they decided to follow Jesus, it was as if their obituary was already written. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me and loved me and died for me. Listen, Paul said, I am a walking dead man. I love the way Paul wrote these words to the church at Rome. He said, I am a debtor. You know what a debtor is, right? A debtor is somebody who owes somebody something. Now, obviously in this room, there's not a person that can pay for our salvation. You don't have enough money to buy it. All the silver and gold in the world can't purchase redemption. But yet one drop of Emmanuel's blood was enough to purchase salvation. You could take all the Discover, the MasterCard, the American Express, all of the national banks, all of the interest, all of the gold, everything would not be able to purchase our redemption, but yet Jesus purchased it. And when Paul put up his life against the miraculous resurrection and death of the Savior, Paul walked away with this ideology, I am a debtor. Paul lived his life knowing that he would never be able to repay God for the grace that had been bestowed upon his life. But yet, he had this mindset, I will die trying there won't be a day that I wake up that I won't share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to those around me. It doesn't matter if I'm in a Roman jail cell. It doesn't matter if I'm locked up. It doesn't matter what may be happening. I will share the message of Christ to those around me, Paul said, because I am a debtor. And Paul said, with as much as within me, I'm ready to preach the gospel at Rome also. He was a debtor to the gospel message. And folks, listen, let me tell you something. When we got into this Christian life, we didn't get into it to make our life better. 
I feel like so many people today sign up to follow Jesus because it's going to make their life better. It's not like getting a new purse, a new set of earrings, a new belt. You don't need, listen, some accessory in your life. In ourselves, we are nothing. Our righteousness is filthy. We need a Savior. In the middle of this human culture where man is God, I want you to understand that we have no ability to save ourselves. We must have a Savior. And these apostles, these early disciples, lived their lives not afraid of death. Not afraid of death. Because they understood that this life is not all that there is. See, folks, I want you to know something. There is a world, there's a reality that exists outside of this reality. It's called eternity. You and I right now, we're existing upon the frameworks of time. But God exists outside of time. God created everything outside of time, and then he stepped into time. But here's what I want you to see. There's coming a day where this immortal spirit of ours will spend eternity either in a place called heaven or a place called hell. The person who gets to choose that is us. Can I speak to you very boldly this morning? If you go to hell, from this point forward, it won't be anybody's fault but yours. God is for you. Jesus died for you. Satan is against you. It's one-on-one. There's a tiebreaker. That's you. That's why the scripture says, choose life. Jesus is simply waiting on us to choose him this morning. And can I tell you something? There's no more freer of a feeling than knowing where you spend eternity. None. Why do you think we get up here and and fuss and holler and and plead and and encourage people to give to missions? Because we want people to experience the same love, the same grace, the same healing, the same deliverance, the same joy that we have received. We understand, we walk in the reality that if people don't hear the gospel, they're lost forever. There ought to be a burning desire on every Christian's heart to share their faith with others. But let me tell you, there's no greater feeling than knowing where you're going to go when you die. I believe that's the key to overcoming the fear of death. It's the key to overcoming the fear of death. Because let me tell you something. Listen listen closely. If you are a born-again Christian, right, giving your life to Jesus, the worst day on earth that you could ever possibly imagine I don't know what that looks like. There's some things that could happen in life that seem pretty horrible to me. I don't want to necessarily go into all of them, but, you know, I think about people who are entrapped in other cultures because of their faith, Christians who are imprisoned. Their fingernails are ripped off. They're tortured slowly. They pull their teeth out one by one, trying to tell them to run out. Oh, you think that doesn't happen? 
But you don't come to church because you get mad because the preacher didn't shake your hand. Oh, okay. You get mad that you think that doesn't happen. It happens. People get caught with the Bible. There was a man in North Korea caught with the Bible. Kim Jong-un ordered a whole regime to put a steamroller at the, at the base of his feet and roll up slowly till he renounced Christ. And he didn't do it. You see, we, we have it real good here in the West, don't we? We have it real good here in the West. We don't even have any comprehension of what people go through around the world. But friends, let me tell you, why is it that martyrs are willing to give their life? Why is it that the disciples were willing to go to their grave not renouncing Christ? Because they had overcome the fear of death. And here's what I want to tell you. You can tweet this if you want to or exit whatever it's called now. Here you go. You ready? A man's not ready to live until he's first ready to die. Because until you first made peace with your maker, you'll live this entire life playing it safe. But when you've made peace with God, it's awesome. I'm going to go back to my text. Some of y'all are probably wondering about that. Here we go. You ready? John 14, verse 1. Jesus, walking towards the cross, Having talked to his disciples, let him know his departure was at hand. Here's what he tells them. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Number one, there's peace in knowing Christ. talking about facing uncertainty, facing death, facing departure. Because we know these disciples, they were told to pick up their cross, and here Jesus is walking to his cross. And these disciples, many of them are wondering, what lies ahead? What's going on? What does it really look like when we cross the finish line? And Jesus, the first thing he tells them, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Here's what he was saying, folks. In other words, Jesus was saying this, I got this. I got this. Don't be anxious. Don't let your heart be filled with anxiety about death. Because when you follow Christ, there's peace that comes. These Jewish believers who were recent converts to Christianity... In other words, many of them were Judaistic for far more longer than they were Christian. Now this statement makes sense. Here's what Jesus said. You believe in God, now believe in me. Jesus is saying, I got this. I've already proven to you I'm the Messiah. I've already now, you don't understand how much of a faith statement this is. Because you and I read the Bible, it's like, I, I don't know, maybe this is a bad trait. But I have a horrible problem of reading the end of a book before the beginning. I, there, I said it. 
I want to know if it's worth reading, right? Like, okay, I can catch up on the details later. I oftentimes read the end and, you know, I go from there. You know, hopefully the introduction catches my attention. If not, I throw it in a corner. At least I know how it ended, right? When you and I read the Bible, we see the end. We see the resurrection, the defeat of Satan, the eternal kingdom, the millennial reign. We see all that. These disciples are going completely on faith. Oftentimes, us Christians talk about being a first-generation believer in our family. They were first-generation Christians, period. They didn't have the testimony of generations and generations and generations. They're literally watching it for the first time. Jesus is telling them, if you believe in God, believe in me, you can have peace. Folks, listen, I want to leave you with this thought this morning. Is your life in turmoil? Is your heart anxious? Are you full of fear? Maybe you should trust Christ today. If you find yourself wondering, what would happen if I died Even if you're a Christian, let me tell you, if you're not a Christian, there is no peace for you. You have every right to be anxious. Your future is uncertain. Your eternity in your mind is unsure, but it's sure in the the eyes of God. Because he who has the Son has life, but he that does not have the Son does not have eternal life. When you know Jesus, there's peace. Friends, you can have peace today. If you don't know Christ as your Savior. I want us to go back to John 14. Let's look at this a little bit more. He said, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. One translation says rooms. It actually means the same. I'll tell you in a minute. In my Father's house are many rooms, big rooms, livable rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. The first thing we looked at, number one, is that there's peace in knowing Christ. But here's the second thing that we draw out of the scripture. You ready? Look at this. There's a place he's prepared for us. Number one, when it comes to death, you can chill. He's got it. It's a beautiful thing when you stand at the bedside of believers who have truly trusted in Christ. When they're not anxious, they're not fearful, but yet they're ready to grab the angel's hand and be escorted right into the eternal realms of glory. It's wonderful. But let me tell you something. Jesus said he's gone to prepare a place for us. That's what happened. After he ascended back to heaven, he went to prepare a place. Somebody say a place. So what does that mean? It means that we're not just going to exist in eternity. We're not going to float around on clouds, eat grapes, and play harps. We're not going to be like little angels and wear diapers and Pluck the strings for eternal realms of, of, of glory and joy. It's not going to work like that. He's prepared a place for us. Folks, let me tell you something. There is a place 
called heaven that God has prepared for those who love him. It's a joyful place. Now, for those of you, there's a lot of new people here, but for those of you who've been around for a while, you've heard me mention this. I'll give you the synopsis of it real quick. In the Jewish culture, um, communal living is a thing, right? And so it's not uncommon to have many generations of a family living, quote, unquote, under the same roof. Now, not all in the same house, but they build up stories, right? So if you ever go to Israel or just go Google some pictures of residential areas in Jerusalem, you'll see what I'm talking about because in the old historic areas, it's still the same way. All the houses are built up because Jerusalem is all going up, and these houses may be seven, eight, nine feet, or not feet, but stories tall. And what would happen is is that this young man would be in in his father's house, under his father's jurisdiction, and he goes and he betroths himself to a bride, to a young lady. He pays a dowry, which is a down payment. He tells her, be ready. I don't know when I'm coming. I'll come when everything is ready. So you just make sure your dress looks good. Come on, ladies, make sure your makeup's good. And you just get ready. Because in an hour when you think not, I'm coming. Could be in the morning. Could be in the noonday. Could be at nighttime. So that bride would be in anticipation. And what would happen is that son would go back to his father's house. And the father would, would begin to give instruction. And that son would begin to build a dwelling place in his father's house. Spacious. The father would look, and they didn't know when it'd be done because, you know, they didn't have timelines and that kind of thing. It's just he was working on it. And then when it was finished, the father would look to the son and say, Son, go get your bride. And he would go, and he would let out that trumpet blast, and he would go. And the people would holler, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Prepare to meet him. And he would take his bride and he would whisk her back away to his father's house. And Jesus said, that's the way it is when you trust in me. I've gone to the cross. I'm going to my eternal destination. But be sure about it. I'm not sitting up in the celestial sky with my legs crossed at this point, waiting on whatever to happen. I've gone to prepare a place for you. Why? Because I have you on my mind. Folks, do you know that when he was on the cross, you were on his mind? Don't believe me? The Bible says for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame. He knew that we would benefit from his suffering. We would benefit from his pain. He has gone to prepare a place for us. Listen, what does that mean? What does that mean? For those of us who trust in the sacrifice of God's Son, eternity awaits us. That's awesome. That's awesome. Back to what I was saying a moment ago, that bad things can happen in life, right? I don't want to be waterboarded or hurt like some of these persecuted Christians, but here's the thing, though. 
the worst day that you and I could ever experience on planet Earth is as close to hell as we'll ever get. But if you're not saved, the best day that you ever experience on this earth is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. You didn't hear what I just said. Come on, I'm trying to tell somebody this morning, your days might be bad. You Listen, I don't believe it's going to rain every day. Come on. I believe that the sun, the sun is going to burst that sky, and we're going to have some sunshiny days. I, I, listen, if we don't have hope in this world, we're, we're all together most miserable. We got to believe that God is going to show his goodness in the land of the living. Come on, it's not all gloom, despair, and agony on me. But what I am trying to tell you this morning is that our worst day on this earth is the worst thing that can happen to us because there's coming a day where God has prepared eternal portals of glory for you and I. Our bodies are going to leave this place and there's a place with no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, no more tears, no more death. It's heaven. Heaven. To be more specific, heaven on earth. The earth re-renovated without curse. New Jerusalem coming down and sitting upon it. It's beautiful. But let's talk about this for a moment. You know, Thomas always had questions, you know. Jesus said, you know where I'm going. And you know the way. See, tells me they weren't listening. You know, I found out people hear what they want to hear. They do. They hear what they want to hear. You can say the right thing and they hear what they want to hear. You know how I know that? This is John 14, right? In John 10, Jesus had already told them, I'm the door. Four chapters later, I'm the door. Nobody gets into the sheepfold but by me. Jesus is like using every illustration that he could ever use. And yet Thomas is still like, I don't know. Where are you going, Jesus? We don't know. And I love what he said. Verse 5. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Listen, can I tell y'all, if there's hope for Thomas, there might be hope for you. Because he was a little slow. He was a little doubtful. But he made it, praise God. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Watch this. And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I've already told you this morning, there's peace in knowing Christ. There's a place that he's prepared for us, and I'm finishing this morning, number three. You ready for this one? His presence is heaven to us. Amen? Here's number three. There's only one pathway to get there. There's only one pathway to get there. When Thomas asked the Lord about knowing the way he should take, Jesus was extremely plain. I am the way. I'm the truth, and I am the life. 
No man gets to the Father except through me. None. Not even one. Not even one. There's only one way to get to heaven, and it's by Christ. Folks, if we're going to make it, it won't be because of what we've given. It won't be because of where we've served. It won't be because we've pastored. It won't be because of any of these things. It won't be because of any of those things. He's so many people, right? They got a resume to give Jesus. Well, God, I did this and I did that. One of the scariest verses in the Bible has a scenario like that. On that day, what day? The day of judgment. Many people are going to say, Lord, Lord, this shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And they will say, Lord, we've prophesied, cast out demons, many wonderful things in your name. And he's going to say, depart, I never knew you. Never knew, it, it, it's, it's the word that kind of in the Hebrew, when the Bible says that Adam knew his wife Eve, obviously we know that speaking of intimacy. The same word in the Greek, just transliterated into the Greek, I never knew you, means I never had an intimate relationship with you. See, a lot of people think I'm getting to heaven because of this and that and the other. But the truth is, we sang about it this morning. The only thing that gets us to heaven is the blood of Christ. Now, when we get saved and transformed, does God expect us to act right? Yes. Does he expect us to live right? Yes. Does he expect us to be perfect? No. But we're supposed to try. If we get it wrong, we should dust ourselves off and try again. But if we're going to get to heaven... It won't be because of what we've done. Listen, you can have all the plaques and honors that you can put on the wall that you could ever have. And it'll never, never amount to anything compared to the grace of Jesus Christ and his mercy. There's no bypass. There's no other option. Jesus is the door. Now, why am I saying all this this morning? Because here's the thing. Because of this, we should all lose the fear of death and make up our mind that when we decide to follow Christ, it's not about me anymore. It's not about my preference. It's not about my comfort. Really not even about my safety If a firefighter would be willing to run into a blazing building to save somebody who's in danger of a natural fire, then how should I say no to my Savior when he asked me to do something uncomfortable like minister to gangs or prisons or go to Afghanistan to preach or whatever he might call me to do. Now, if he don't call you, don't do that. But if he does call, who are we to say no? You know what happens to soldiers in the United States Army when their officer gives them instructions and they don't do it? They're sent home with dishonorable discharge. It's one of the biggest disgraces 
a person can ever have. Let me ask you a question then. Why do so many of us say we're followers of Christ and yet we don't obey him? Jesus said this, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? Folks, this morning, if you want to overcome the fear of death, you simply just have to choose to die right now, not physically, but live a crucified life. Because listen, heaven is our eternal home. And we're going to go there one day if we're saved. And my, 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 how awesome it's going to be to be able to see Jesus face to face. But for those of you who are here today and you don't know Christ, you can't have any of this I'm talking about today. No peace in your life. I get it, I get it, I get it. You're cool, you're young. You got time. read a news article this morning of a little 13-year-old girl who thought she had all the time in the world until she got on a dirt bike killed herself. We don't know. We don't know. So because we don't know, it's good to get ready right now, isn't it? I want you to stand on your feet with me. My intention is not to scare you into anything. Although I believe hell is a scary place. My intention, rather, this morning is not to scare you into hell, but to love you into heaven. Because you know what? Jesus looked at your life, sin and all, mess and all, and he still loved you enough to give his life for you. And in turn, all he asks is for you to give your life for him. So like Paul, like the other disciples, I'm asking you this morning, not that you want to run down and repeat a prayer. You do need to do that. That's not what I'm asking you. What I'm asking you today is this. Are you willing to pick up your cross and follow him? That's what I'm asking today. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment. If you're in this room this morning, you'd be honest with me. you say, Pastor Brad, I don't know Christ. I don't know him, not like you preached about today. I know about him, but I don't have a relationship with him. I'm unsure of where I'd spend eternity if I were to die. Friend, today you're in the right place. You don't have to go another single second asking that question you can know today 